All right. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Brian Marin. We are uh, on our next episode of the Left of Greg podcast. Uh, tonight, we have some returning guests. We have Mr. Eric Collier, former Marine sniper and human behavior subject matter expert. We also have Mr. Sean Clemens, who is former law enforcement and human behavior uh, expert uh, to to talk about some of the topics we're going to discuss today. And then, as usual, we have Mr. Greg Williams, who the podcast, of course, is affectionately named after. So on tonight's podcast, we're going to bring up some military terms, actually specifically one called OCOCA, which uh, talks about observation, cover concealment, obstacles, communications, uh, key terrain, and avenues of approach, which is a whole bunch of military jargon that, that we've been taught and that we've used uh, in our career in our past. And we're just going to take those lenses and apply it to just everyday civilian life, what that means to make yourself a little bit smarter, a little bit stronger, and a little bit harder to kill, how to harden yourself as a target, and how to just observe your daily surroundings using uh, these lessons learned in very chaotic environments. So with that, I think that's kind of the framework for what we're going to be discussing here this evening. So I'm going to go ahead and pass to Greg. I know you wanted to kind of get in here and mention a few things, and then we'll get the ball rolling from there. Yeah, Brian, I, I just want to, you know, the, the news today is uh, uh, full of stories that, that we've got to pay attention to. For example, Ariana Grande getting the wrong tattoo. Uh, it's been a two-day debacle of, of uh, the message is the wrong message, and she's got to get refilled. So while that's occupying the news, it's hard to get a word in edgewise about something like Okoka. So why do you need something like Okoka? Uh, well, here's the idea. We keep talking about a framework, an architecture for setting baselines. Baseline plus anomaly equals decision. It's on the site. Go to the site and get more information from the other pods. The idea about Okoka is it's a standard for, for example, the U.S. Army. The United States Marine Corps uses it. They call it a little bit something different. But exactly what you said, and if you're at home, grab a pencil and jot this down on your yellow pad or rewind this a bunch of times to get it. Observation, the first O, also comes with fields of fire. We'll talk about that in a little greater detail. Uh, uh, C is cover and concealment. Then O is obstacles. Then the C is comms. And then the K is key terrain. And then A is avenue of approach. I don't want you to think of it, even if you're a veteran, and, and thanks for your service, I don't want you to think of it in the terms that it was written. I want you to think of it in the terms as a parent at home trying to decide where to take your kids to chow or trying to uh, uh, assess somebody that came into the lobby of your business uh, and decide whether it's a most likely or a most dangerous course of action. And we can use this pre-printed architecture that's already out there and you can read a ton of articles on, and I think that lens is just as good to apply to any civilian thing. Uh, 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 and, again, it's preventative. So to kind of set the stage for what you said, Brian, I'd like to give sort of a military example of it. So, Collier, one of the, the things that uh, you did as a scout sniper in the Marine Corps was assess uh, terrain, assess situations, so the commander had an idea of what was good and what was bad in their AO, in their area of operation. Could you tell us a little more about that? Yeah, sure. Um, so when he would use Coco, or he would set up his defense. He would have his plan set in um, where he'd have all of his dead space covered avenues. Hey, Eric, real quick, brother, can you just get that mic a little bit closer? There we go, just so we can hear a little bit better. Just don't breathe in between. Obstacles. Can you hear me now? No, that's better. Okay. So he would set up in his obstacles and have his plan set. Once that was in set, I would push outside the wire and then like basically in a 360 degree all the way around the outside of the base or the OP or whatever they were setting up um, within um, 
direct line of sight or where uh, a sniper could take a shot in. I would go to all the key pieces of terrain, uh, the high buildings, uh, the hills, and look in. And from those positions, I'd take photos or videos or I'd draw field sketches. And then I would move all the way around at different ranges, and I would assess each one of those um, positions. And when we came back from doing that, we spent a full day, uh, day cycle, night cycle, looking at it. Um, when we brought that information, showed the pictures, showed the sketches um, to the commander, the, the jaws hit the ground. Uh, they couldn't believe that there were so many seams and gaps in the plan that they had spent so many hours setting up. The biggest issue that we saw was they were only looking at it from one perspective. They were only looking at it through one lens. It was them inside the wire looking outside. When you're inside the wire looking out, those seams and gaps seem very, very small. But when you go outside the wire and you flip the lenses and you look back in, you can see that there's feet and extremely large gaps. It was able to see chain of command walking back and forth in and out completely exposed. So my counterpoint to that was to look at it from the enemy's perspective, um, see the world through his eyes, walk a mile in his shoes, and come up with a way that I would attack them and then go back and brief that commander so he could make improvements on his defensive position. So, so th this is not something unknown to history. Uh, uh, one, uh, ergonomics, making sure that your toaster isn't too far from your bread, making sure that your sink is not too far from your dishwasher. Those type of, uh, uh, there's science, there's books, there's uh, probably websites devoted to just that. Uh, we take a look at something like curb appeal, uh, how to sell your house, bake cookies before you come in, that look, listen, feel of those type things. That's an architecture, and, and it's not different than this feng shui. Uh, the way your couch interacts with your TV set and your rock garden are going to cast this this look. But you can't always be the one that, that, that uh, does it. You have to sometimes enlist an aide uh, or a friend or go to some training that will teach you how to do it. And, and Collier's saying, I need to go outside. I need to walk around my house. I need to take a look at what the neighbor sees. And so if we take a look at that and then we expand the lens from a microscope to a telescope, we have to ask ourselves constantly the so what. So what does that mean to me in the context of being a, an adult or a parent or a, you know, in a relationship or having kids and worrying about them in today's world? So how can I use the, the, the architecture of Okoka as a lens to make me safer? And as Brian said, uh, smarter, faster, and harder to kill. I, I think you, exactly what you guys were, were was Eric was just explaining is I was just thinking of it not in terms of doing the same thing where I've done it before, but from your house. You know, you you literally have to go out, uh, get outside of your house, and just turn around and look back in and go, well, if I was a bad guy, you know, how would I get in here? What would I do right. to to gain entry into this place? Hey, where could I come up here and hide from? You know, how could I approach this vehicle? Doesn't matter if literally you're parked under a street light versus, you know, 50 feet away where it's completely dark is something as small as that. Yeah. Uh, just being able to identify it using the, just the, the military term of a COCA would actually help you make you a little bit safer. And I, I would say grab a, grab a, a index card. I mean, everybody uh, that we're talking to on these uh, uh, podcasts at work, so we're all near our desks or at our desks, except for Collier to at the dentist's office apparently. Uh, but grab a writing implement and jot down something like Okoka on one side, and then on the other side put the word pace, uh, Paul, Adam, Charles, uh, uh, Echo. Uh, so for each one of the lenses that Okoka gives us, I would also have a pace plan, primary, alternate, uh, contingent, and emergent. Uh, for example, comms. Uh, everybody's got a cell phone, but guess what? Uh, there's a lot of situations where a cell phone either gets blacked out by the government because they don't want you communicating in an emergency, uh, uh, which they can do, uh, or 
uh, an electromagnetic pulse from some pulsar from the sun knocks it out, or uh, gosh damn, battery uh, goes dead. So whatever. I would the, say, yeah. I would say battery would be more likely than than the, some type of pulse from the sun. <laughs> I, I got it, but you know, I'm a conspiracy. Time <laughs> up. But the idea is that that your kids got that cell phone. When that cell phone goes down, I have seen kids, the same kids that don't know what uh, 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 right and left-handed, you know, on and off, uh, uh, righty tighty, lefty loosey. They they don't know those type of things, you know. And and I've seen that kid stare at the phone, and I go, "What's going on?" Well, I can't call my mom. What do you mean you can't call your mom? I don't know her number because all I have it in my phone is his mom. I don't have it as the digits. That type of thinking. If that cell phone goes down, I'm at Rogue Manor West clearly. And, and uh, upstairs and downstairs, we got a SL20X flashlight and two Motorola radios on each deck of the house. Why? In case power goes out, in case there's an emergency or something like that, we got immediate comms, and we got a light source, you know? Uh, those type of thinking, the alternate, and what do I do if my comms is compromised? How do I? And maybe as much as comms is having a, a safe word, uh, Collier, having a safe word where I'm going to communicate with my kids, and if my kids say, hey, Uncle Nick is here, that means things are horribly bad. Send the cops. Those type of things, if we think about them for a few minutes before we go out, Okoka and Pace plans, then we're not going to pay the price of being in the trick bag, you see? Because most people find themselves on the bubble and then react. We're talking true left-of-bank thinking. Sean, does that make sense? It makes great sense. I, I got a real-life scenario that actually kind of happened um, to me, and then I, I dealt with it on a job also, weddings. They're great fun. They could... They can involve horrible tragedies also. I mean, Greg, I know you've been to them where they were just completely went sideways on you. It starts off great. People start drinking. Before you know it, some guests show up that weren't supposed to be there. Things are going sideways on you. So um, to get to my example, every time that we go to a wedding, um, my wife and I and our children, they know that as soon as I get there, no matter what table that I'm assigned, wherever we're assigned, we're switching. Whatever excuse we have to make up, usually it's the children. It's an, and it's not to put somebody else in our spot. We usually take something near the back, near an exit, somewhere where we can see people come in and out, egress, ingress, and uh, we'll switch tables. We'll say the children need to access the bathroom, but really it's just a ruse. We're just trying to get a table where we have our backs to the wall, somewhere we have all the action in front of us so we can see what's going on. And, and in, in the Okoka example, that's called key terrain. And you're also considering the avenues of approach. I'm sorry, Sean, but I, I think to, to put it in the framework, it's right there. Yeah, yeah, continue with that. Explain that a little bit more. Yeah, so what Sean's saying is he took this battle space, which is now a wedding, and he's going to the reception. He doesn't want anybody to know his name because somebody might use that to victimize him. They might pull a ruse on Sean and go up and say, hey, Mr. Clemens, I need to see you over here, when in fact it's a bad guy that he's hooked up or his wife, another law enforcement officer, is hooked up. So that would put him in a bad situation. So what he does is he looks for key terrain and avenues of approach that are close to an exit so he can egress if he wants to, and also that he's got a, a big view of what's going on. He's got a better uh, 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 view on the caper. So keep going, Sean. Yeah, and to, to bounce off that, uh, I, I guess maybe to bounce to another story, I guess, I guess if you, you, you look at some police officers sit down to eat for lunch, you swear it's the Keystone, it's the Keystone cops. Everybody's jockeying for spots, looking like they're they're trying to grab the last seat there. And really, what's going on is everybody's fighting to get their backs to the wall, so that way that they know exactly what's coming through the door and that they they can deal with the threat. And then yeah. usually, what ends up who who ends up losing is the rookie. He yeah. gets the, he gets his back to the wall, or he gets back to the door. The rest of them get the back to the wall, and he sits there by himself. We call that the 
the bullet in the back of the head seat is what we call it. Yeah. So, <laughs> but I want you to think of this too, Chantel. Uh, in and around the, uh, Detroit, there used to be this restaurant called Ramshorn, and uh, you didn't need to dial nine one one. Just go to the Ramshorn. That's where all the cops were, twenty four seven, baby. And uh, the idea was that I would always laugh because the coppers would be inside eating, and I'd say, "Okay, where's your flashlight? Where are any of the less than lethal force alternatives that you need?" And they'd say, "They're in my sled." Why? And I'd say, "Well, they're in your police car, and you're here, and every single person around you has a knife and a fork. You get what I'm trying to say? And you're sitting down, and you can't reach for your gat if you had to." Nobody thought about those type of things until we had the situation like in Nevada where, where uh, uh, the two people come into the donut shop and gun them down. But I would tell you, if you check your history, they happen a lot. So I think, Sean, what you're saying is that we can either go point by point, which I like, is, is the, you know, the very articulated, this is, you know, and, and put my overlays and have my uh, defenses in there. Or you can just freelance it and say, hey, listen, I need to be able to see. I need to be able to hear. Uh, I need a way to get to my car and have my car pointed in the right flipping direction. Because I'll tell you right now, if you're anywhere near uh, the entrance to a business and it's getting robbed, you're never getting to your car. I mean, well, that's, that, that's the choke point right there. That's to, to kind of tie both of those things together. And I know for someone who, who's a novice at or, or who's never, hasn't been trained to think like that, hasn't been through those experiences, has no concept of what you're talking about, but kind of gets it like, oh, I see what you're saying here is, is just since they don't have that perspective, one thing that's great to do, and I know, Greg, we always talk about this, is you, you imagine you're now overhead you know, you're way yep. up here and you're looking down on whatever situation you're in, whether that's the wedding, whether that's your gas station, whether that's the restaurant you're in, whether that's at school, you're going to church. I just take that overhead view and I look down and I go, oh, wait a minute. Now I can see how the human behavior works. Now I can see where the natural lines of drift are, where people are going to go, the easy uh, ways in and out, those ingress and egress routes, what's areas blocked, especially how to get out of a parking lot. I mean, that's what everyone say. You know, that's my only thing. I we hey, right on. go to a concert or something like that. I'm just going. I what's the where can I park to get my to to allow me the easiest way out of here? And it's just that simple planning is. Yeah, it's a couple minutes uh, extra to your walker or another minute here, but that's those 30 seconds or minute or two minutes that, that might be life. save your life. Exactly. Well, it's something as simple as how you park your sled. So you take your vehicle and you back it in. And, and Sean, how many times do we have to yell at Rooks for this? Uh, Collier, how many people did we throw off a site because they, they didn't combat park? And, and people go, oh, why? Because you can speed out in a hurry? No. Many kids in our country have their heads squashed like melons when the parents jump in the SUV and back over them. So backing up is not a good plan. I can see out my windscreen and take a look at my little uh, uh, nublets and not run them over. Uh, the other thing is if I get in a shooting uh, uh, situation, the engine block is already in front of me. Uh, if uh, I have to work on a battery, I don't have to push the car out of the driveway to get the battery charged. There's so many things if you take a look at them, uh, they're utile for a reason. Uh, I'll give you an example. Collier, when, when uh, uh, we were setting up, we all, uh, everybody on this call has worked on a, a caper I developed for Columbia and not the district up. Uh, mm -hmm. But we were trying to explain to, to people how to put it in perspective. And some people didn't have the same education level as other people. So Collier, remember we took those uh, paper plates and we used the one paper plate to make a circle. And then we took the p same paper plate and we cut a big hole in one and a small hole in the other. 
And what we did is we put that on the map of where you are. Exactly what you're saying, Marin, is I'm taking that overhead view. And the first thing is a 360 to look at my AO, my area of operation, whether it's a daycare, whether it's a hospital, emergency room, whatever situation I find myself in, the prom for my daughter. I take a look at that situation, and I make sure that whatever's in there I can control, my avenues of approach, my uh, cover and concealment. What's cover? Well, uh, cover means it stops small arm fires, a safe room. Do I have a safe room? Those type of things. Then we put that next plate on there, and the plate had that hole cut in there. Okay, this is where my car is going to be parked, and this is the entrance I'm going to take in and out of the business. This is the closest emergency room that has a, you know, a, a level three or a level one trauma center. Uh, this is the closest place that I can get uh, food or fuel if, if we have to barricade for a while. And then I have the smallest hole, and that's me. That's me operating in and amongst this thing. And it's like that the colored balls at that gosh damn Chuck E. Cheese. I have to keep those balls in the air the whole time. And you're saying, is that being hyper alert? No, it's being situationally aware. It's being aware of the situation and, and the seams and gaps and the situation undulating and unfolding so I don't become a victim. Well, I want well, people to look at me as an opponent, not a victim, and leave me alone. So, so Greg, and, and I think everyone can, can kind of chime in uh, at, at you know, different points, but let's, let's hone that from big to small. So we're talking about this in general concepts of just how to think. So, so let's start with a location uh, at a school, right? So everyone who's listening has either been to a school, has kids at school, understands there are certain uh, patterns that emerge at every single school across the United States, right, and, and most of the world, right, of how they're laid out and where people go. So tell me how I do this as a parent or a teacher or I'm, you know, a freshman on a college campus. What do I, how do I take this, uh, this military term, apply it to that specific location yeah. and to make myself a little bit smarter and stronger? No, and I'm going to throw it at the crew, but I, I want to just say one thing. Remember, you have... Uh, rules and regulations at your work. Um, you have a, a plan at your school. Uh, your church has their private security, and they have an emergency plan for CPR. One, educate yourself so you're not swimming against the current, uh, and you're not running the wrong direction, and you're, you're, you don't make yourself a victim. The reason coppers are getting shot or, or legal uh, concealed carry owners are getting shot at these high-stress scenes is people don't know who they are. And they're showing up and pulling a gun, and now another copper looks and goes, hey, here he is. This is the bad guy. That can be avoided by thinking a little bit left of bang. And what I mean is see what plans are already in place. Then it's something as simple as, look, if anybody ever props a door open at your school, okay, that's a problem. That's a breach of security. It ain't happening. If any kid shows up without his ID card today, even though it's a bad day and mom's going to be pissed and she's got to drive all the way back from work to pick him up and she's going to lose money at work, that kid's going home. If something is a rule and the rule isn't followed, remember, bad guys love seams and gaps. They hide in plain sight, and they're going to be able to drive that Halligan tool into that seam and gap, and that's where they're going to strike. Where are the exits? What's the emergency plan? What's the fire plan? Who's the coppers that are going to show up? Who's my school resource officer? You as a parent, if you can't tell me that information, you haven't done your homework. W w would you guys agree? I think it would be something as simple as, uh, and it, like you said, it doesn't have to be paranoia. It's if you play the what-if game. The what-if game works to fill those seams and gaps. It's keeping me from hitting denial because I'm not prepared. As I'm walking from my house down the main road going to my middle school or whatever, um, where are the seams? Where are the dark areas, the alleyways that somebody could grab out that I could cross, the, uh, cross a crosswalk and go to the opposite side and walk down there under, underneath uh, the streetlights? Um, understanding where those key pieces of terrain 
light so I can observe into those dark spaces where if I was the bad guy and I was going to try to kidnap you or abduct you or grab you, would offer me the easiest place to grab you at to ambush you. Right and then be able to egress from that. So as I'm walking, I'm constantly playing a game with myself, even myself. I work in D.C. downtown uh, near the uh, Chinatown down by the, uh, used to be the Verizon Center, and the Metro. So it's a hubbub of people down there. That there's shootings, and there's all kinds of things that happen down there. And as I'm walking down to get my coffee, doing a break at Starbucks, um, what am I doing? I'm sitting there thinking, okay, if this guy tried to grab my wallet, where would he grab it from? What would I do in this point? What out here uh, provides cover that I can jump behind if there's a car that swerves off the road onto the sidewalk and tries to kill me? What would stop that car? So, so, just, so it's not just a counterterrorism approach, yeah. Collier. I, I mean, and, and, and you had your coffee in your hand, so if you were attacked, you could have thrown the coffee. Uh, Brian, when, when uh, we talk about a pace plan, what's your pace plan for a, a, a weapon systems in combat, for example? Well, you're going to have, okay, so pace plan for weapon system is whatever that primary weapon is obviously the p is primary so that's going to be like i had an m4 you know carbine assault rifle that's your primary weapon system okay now if that were to go down i have some type of malfunction then i'm going to go to my alternate weapon weapon system so your sidearm so your beretta or your glock or whatever it is that you're carrying right that's your alternate then you have some type of contingent okay i'm completely out of ammo I don't have any rounds left for any of those weapon systems. What's the next thing I have? Well, okay, now I've got this nice, really strong, really well-made K-bar knife that it's going to it's going to get up close and personal with this thing. But if that's what I've got, that's all I've got. Now I go to all right. If I don't have that, what do I have left? What's what's my emergency plan? All right. Well, I'm going to one first look around for any hard object that's harder than my fists that I can use uh, it to defend myself and attack someone if necessary, and then it goes from there. But but that having built in right there is now I have now I have several options, several tools available, so I don't have to think about it when something happens. Meaning I come up on target with that M4 and it goes click, I immediately transition my sidearm, and right. now I'm still I'm still in that process. I haven't missed anything. But that takes muscle memory, yep. rehearsal, training. Yes. You get a lot of it. But, but what I'm trying to put into context too, Brian, and you're spot on. I'm trying to say that Collier just told us of an example that he mm-hmm. lives in a, a dynamic environment. And when he goes in deliberately to get a cup of coffee, he's still thinking about the pace plan, the Ococa. Sean just told us, hey, listen, I go to a lot of weddings, and they can turn bad because there's alcohol there, and people are, you know, there's a, a, a lot of emotions going on at a wedding. He said, so I have to be cognizant of Ococa. And Sean, before this broadcast, hasn't used it, but he caught on real quick. So he talked about observation. He talked about comms. Hey, listen, I'm going to communicate to these people I can't use this share. And to my wife, listen, if I get up to go here, you're going to do this. That preliminary study, the, the, the pre-selection, the pre-site uh, uh, survey, the uh, uh, PS... Uh, Pre-deployment uh, site survey. Pre-deployment yeah. site survey. Sorry, because I'm trying to make a point, and that eluded me at that exact moment. That is so important, and it can start with the first step of walking around a place. Chantel, you go to that same wedding, and uh, when you go to the wedding, you notice that uh, one of the doors got tape on the lock, and uh, it prevents it from being closed. You go in, and there's another security door that's got the uh, uh, smoke alarm disabled, and you go further in, and there's another door where they got the ashtray blocking it open. You know it's not sinister. You know that nobody's trying to, to, to kill you. It's just because somebody wants to take a smoke or you know, run out to their car and take a little nip or something. What do you know about that place as, as far as the structural integrity? What do you know about your safety? About my safety as a police officer or are you talking as a civilian? I, I'd say both. You tell me both. Well, as a civilian, that's usually what a civilian does. You try to explain away simple things. Just like you said, 
it's probably a worker trying to run out and get a nip, trying to grab a smoke. But we have to think about what's our most dangerous course of action. We're there trying to protect our family. We've got family members there. That's our ultimate job, make sure that we all return home safely. So using those clues, we can pick up and factor on what, what's going to be the most dangerous thing that could happen to me or my family. As a civilian, I mean, the most simple thing you do, go to management. Go, hey, this is what I got going on here. You might want to come investigate this. And th that's a simple thing for a civilian. And then maybe just kind of uh, hang by the exit. Maybe you want to leave. Maybe it's time you're ready to leave anyhow. Maybe that's time for you to leave then. And what about as a copper, Sean? I mean, you, you encounter that same thing. You just happen to be on, on patrol. I, I don't like to use the word routine patrol because it's never routine. And you're on patrol and you start seeing that lapse of security. What do you do? Well, uh, well, you have to, first of all, our, our first job is to serve and protect. We have to get out and find out what, what's going on, poke our nose into something to figure out what's happening. But we can't just go walk through willy-nilly and just assume that this is the, the, uh, uh, the smoker that's going on on a smoke break. Uh, right. So back to the Okoka. Observe. It's nothing wrong with just sitting back, getting out the binos, and checking out what's going on. Maybe it's as simple as just a smoker. And, Maybe and not. you know what? That's the key. So now we go back to the scout snipers and both Brian and, and, and Collier, the, the blackest heart in the business. Uh, we're scout snipers, uh, uh, classically trained U.S. Marine Corps uh, combat missions and everything else. And when you take a look at what Sean was talking about, and I kind of threw him a question to get the ball moving forward, I'm talking about that, that uh, avenues of approach and key terrain again, but I'm talking about moving through an environment. If we were going to victimize you, we would set a track trap. Uh, we would go out on a volleyball court with a rake, and we'd rake it real smooth, and we'd see what animals came through that volleyball court, right? Well, it's the same thing at that wedding. I set up uh, uh, an opening, and, and I create the opening so you'll take it. And I want you to follow that opening and follow the breadcrumbs until you get outside in the parking lot, and then I'm going to slam the door, and that's where the robbery is going to turn into a homicide. So those same areas, if you flip the script, is this accidental? Is it a violation uh, of, of safety procedures that I need to talk about? Is it somebody setting up a robbery on this place or, or, or uh, setting up to, to victimize you later in the day? How do you, how do you know? How do you take a look at uh, Okoka on one side and Pace on the other side? And how do you, like Sean just said, look through those binos and tell it's now from most likely course of action, it's now graduating to the most dangerous? How do you know? What are some of those cues? Well, I think with, like, Go ahead. One thing, too, is having that plan. I mean, when you see those event indicators, you've got clusters of cues starting to show up, and the human behavior, the atmospheric shift, people are moving away all of a sudden. When I pay attention to the locals, now there's a big shift because I'm new to the area. Is Do, do I have a plan at that point? Am, am I going to do something? Am I going to uh, defend my position? Am I going to wait for reinforcements to show up? Am I going to attack the situation and go preemptively, withdraw, uh, just grab my family and go, or delay and just hold in place until whatever uh, is the most safest thing for me to do at that point. Um, but looking for the human behavior is the thing that always, whenever I was out on a mission, looking, uh, and usually it was an atmospheric shift was my quickest sign of danger. The minute that the looks, the smells, the sights, the sounds shifted and things weren't the way they were five minutes ago, I started getting our sensors up and getting looking out and looking, opening our eyes, going, what's going on? Why did right. Just change so quickly. Why is the body language in this room just shift when everything was fine? So that that was the thing for me. It wasn't just the optics. It was it, having to read the behavior. 
and I think in a in a civilian uh, application that Eric, that's that's no different. People heard, oh man, like the the hairs you know on the back of my neck stood up, or hey, it's like that scene where they walk in and the record stops playing and everyone stops and looks, or 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 you're out to dinner and every, you know all of a sudden the waitress drops a huge tray full of plates and they smash on the ground and the place gets instantly quiet and everyone turns and looks at what's going on. That's that atmospheric shift. Now it's just that what's the most likely, what's the most dangerous uh, course of action here. No one ever thinks of what's the most dangerous, right? So that specific situation, everyone goes, ah, the waitress, she dropped the plates. You know, ah, that sucks. Uh, you know, she's going to have to pay for that maybe or whatever. You know, the manager's going to be pissed. Whoever thinks that what's the most dangerous course of action, someone could have just got up and hit her right in the face, and that's what caused her to drop that. So there's a, there's a you know, myriad of things that could have happened. But I just look at things like Okoka before I go in there. Now I have a plan if it is that most dangerous course of action. Now I have, I have a few options available if it is that worst-case scenario. So whatever happens, and in, in Greg, I know you, you hit up on that pace plan, is this doesn't have to be a, 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 you know, a written-out brief uh, nope. order to your family. It's, hey, look, uh, when I'm going to pick you up from school, I'll text you when I'm get there. Hey, if you don't have any exactly. cell phone comms with me, hey, we're going to meet at this point at this time. If I'm not there at that point at that time, you're going to go to your uh, friend so-and-so's house or whatever that plan is. And I'm calling 911. Exactly. There's, there's, everything so, is balanced. Yeah, you're exactly and, right. And you just put those those measures into place, and it doesn't have to be anything simple. And even young kids can get that stuff and pick up on it and know what to do. As long as you brief them and tell them what. If everyone sticks to that plan, then, hey, we have options. So if it is that most dangerous course of action, we're going to be okay. We're going to make it out all right. And let me tell you the, the, the downside of that, not, not coming out all right. So Chantel and I were in a caper, and uh, Shelly, as a matter of fact, uh, it just happened that uh, the world coalesced and karma showed up, and it's late at night, and Shelly was with a rook, and she was investigating a burglary, and so she was trying to explain to the, the new officer as an FTO and an FTO supervisor, she was trying to explain uh, what to do. Uh, Sean and I were working a, an unmarked uh, vehicle, in the Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad's uh, famous novel, uh, and it was dark on the street. Uh, the area that we were into, the power was out, and both Sean and I had our fill, our cup was runneth over with felony arrest that night, if you remember, Sean. So we were trying to head back, and we were going to catch up on some paperwork, and we arrested a guy, and this guy was just loaded with cocaine and a gun. And you remember, Sean, we had him in a back seat. There wasn't a marked unit that we could use to transport him. And so we were trying to come up with a safe way of getting this guy from his location without jeopardizing our safety or his to the station house. So Shelly gets on the radio and says, hey, listen, I've got this burglary. Uh, would you and Sean be able to come by? And my rookie and I will watch, and I will be able to mentor him as you guys go through the motions on how to search the house for a bird. And we're like, yeah, that sounds like great training. We're always in for great training. So we even talked to the guy in the back seat, and he goes, yeah, it sounds like great training. I'm in. You know what I'm saying? So we drove over to the He's got nowhere to be. So Exactly. So we tactically parked, and uh, uh, thinking through the situation as a mature adult, Sean said, hey, this isn't the greatest thing. I'll sit with this guy. You go in, and you and Shelly, and then this guy watches, and then we'll do the after-action review. And I said, yeah, that's good. So uh, I remember showing up. Shelly had been on scene just a couple of minutes. Uh, you know, have you gone through the house? No, the owner has. She's gone through the entire house. So we walk into the kitchen. And I remember the very first thing is you walked in and the kitchen's on the right, living room's on the left, and there were two open gun cases. And that starts tightening your sphincter. Then the next thing is we walked a little bit further. There was a safe that was set in the hallway. 
then all of a sudden you could see that certain things were cut, like he cut all the power lines to the house. That's why I mean the heart of darkness uh, to keep the house dark. But he also did that because he wanted to make sure, and I'm surmising that it was a male at this time. I, I knew later it was. Uh, security system, phone, so nobody could call. And as we moved a little further, hanky buttons are going off. And remember, we'll talk in a future episode about how the electrochemical neurotransmitters of your brain warn you of stuff. And Shelly made eye contact with me, and I made eye contact with her. And even though we were clearing with our weapon systems and our flashlights and going room to room, something was absolutely wrong. So we did a timeout, and the owner is going, hey, listen, I've been through the house. Is this going to take long? I take a right turn, and I took one step into the bathroom, and there's a guy hiding behind the shower uh, uh, curtain with a 12-gauge. And do you remember the caper, Sean? And yeah. let, let, the, let the shooting begin. So Sean's outside, sees the house light up like the 4th of July. Uh, somebody didn't make it. It wasn't, it wasn't a good thing, and I can't go on further because my PTSD doesn't allow me to talk about it without uh, losing my cookies. But the idea was that we had an Okoka, we had a PACE plan, and we had an SOP, a standard operating procedure, for how to methodically search the house. And you know what we screwed up? We screwed up the gift of time and distance. We believed the owner of the house that said, yeah, I checked everything. Everything's fine. Just go on in there. And, and so by accelerating time, we didn't do the procedures. And any time that you skip or jump over a procedure in an emergency, you're risking uh, your own life and the life of somebody. And somebody had to die in this situation to prove the point. Uh, Sean, you, you, you remember uh, being on the receiving end of that one. Uh, it must have been uh, hard to watch from outside. I can tell you it was hard to watch from inside. But, but for the good of the order here, my point being, those are procedures that are easy. Any kid can learn them. You can rehearse them. Look, do you do a fire drill with your family? If you don't, you need to start doing that thing. You, you need that, gosh damn, if you have a two-level. I got a ladder up there. I'm wicked fat, so I don't know if the ladder's going to hold me, but it's guaranteed for 300 pounds. I climbed that ladder to make sure that it would hold me. I know that sounds silly, but those simple things you can do to make sure that you're going to increase your survivability. And I think on, on that point's a, a good point to, to end on, Greg. Uh, you know, so if anyone wants any more information, we've got plenty of more podcasts at the Left of Greg podcast channel on YouTube. Of course, you can also go to the website, ArcadiaCognorati.com. I'll post that up with this video. But you guys can come and check out. We've got plenty of information on there, and we've got got something for everyone so if you guys don't have anything else to add i'll end but just by saying thank you for joining us on this thank you for sharing and we will see you all again soon thank you thanks everybody thank you.